This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Lock is brought to you by Star Trek Wines. Visit StarTrekWines.com today for limited edition Chateau Picard, Ryzen Varietals, and many more. Use our special code Roddenberry at StarTrekWines.com for an exclusive United Federation of Planets medallion. This episode is also brought to you by Rocket Money. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. It could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 471. Investigations. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek, searching for the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein, and see if it withstands the test of time. This week, Investigations, the one where Tom Paris finally shoves off while Neelix stumbles upon a plot that threatens Voyager. John will have trivia for you in a moment, but first, here is how all of you can stay in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here is John Champion with this week's investigation. Trivia. In, in, trivia, not investigations. I, I, I investigated this trivia very thoroughly, so uh, here we go. We have a story by Jeff Schnaufer and Ed Bond, and honestly, that's where the trivia for those guys ends. This is the only Star Trek credit for both, and it's actually their only professional television credit at all. So if anybody has more information, or Jeff or Ed, if you're listening, let us know what you're up to these days. We have a teleplay by Jerry Taylor. That's really where the episode needed attention because, well, it, it was written with the purpose of finishing up the arc of Tom Paris's disobedience. And she set out to do exactly that, but dedicated most of the script to Neelix's journalistic endeavors. In fact, the script was told entirely from Neelix's point of view, even up to the start of production, as a conceit that Michael Piller really insisted upon. So the cameras had already been rolling, and it was Paramount executives who stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. They need to show visually the action of the story. And that meant last-minute rewrites and some filming after the fact to get in scenes like Tom's jailbreak from the Kazon ship. 
This was directed by Les Landau, and we all remember Les as a longtime part of Star Trek production when he started as an assistant director on TNG and then had to jump in to finish Code of Honor in the director's chair. For Voyager, we most recently covered his episode Alliances, and we are now at his fifth out of nine episodes on this series. Let's meet our guest stars. We mostly have returning players in the prominent guest roles. Martha Hackett as Seska again. On board Voyager, we've got Simon Billig and Raphael Sabarge as Hogan and Jonas, respectively. There is a new Talaxian in this episode. His name is Laxeth, and he is played by Jerry Sroka. This is his first and only Star Trek appearance, but Jerry is married to another Star Trek veteran, Mariette Hartley, who you may remember from the TOS episode, All Our Yesterdays, where she played Zarabeth. Jerry, though, you probably recognize from a number of roles in his career. In fact, his first on-screen credit was from the 1973 film Godspell, in which he played Jerry. He shows up later in a number of guest appearances and voice roles for shows like Family Guy and The Wild Thornberries. But if you want to see his latest, check out our almost completely true story from 2022 in which Jerry stars alongside his wife as themselves, Jerry and Mariette, and they welcome a whole lot of recognizable showbiz names. Again, the story is almost completely true. If for nothing else, Bernie Capel is in it. So there's our Love Boat reference this week. King Abdullah al-Ben Hussein of Jordan, well, just for a couple of seconds, he appears in the teaser talking with Harry Kim. Now, at the time, he was crown prince, and he was a Star Trek fan, still is, apparently. Uh, since he was not a member of the Union, he wasn't allowed to have a speaking part, but he was thrilled to don a Starfleet uniform. He was so grateful, in fact, that he even threw a party for the cast. He ascended the throne in 1999 and is still King of Jordan as of this recording. To date, he is the only head of state who has appeared on Star Trek. Extra, extra, read all about it. Mild-mannered Talaxian reporter is on the case. Prologue. As Chief Morale Officer, Neelix has a new project, a daily video cast called A Briefing with Neelix, in which he'll cook, spread good cheer, have interviews and segments from other crew members, including the captain. Overall, the whole thing will have an optimistic view of the news of the day, maybe a little gossip, too. He shows his demo reel to the EMH, but he's not interested until the appeal of being a celebrity catches his interest. Neelix then goes for a little feedback from Harry Kim, and the ensign has some advice. Hey, he needs some serious news, too, not just the fluffy stuff. And while he's at it, a good journalist stays independent. About that time, Neelix gets a call from an old Talaxian friend. It's Laxeth, who now heads communications for a convoy of cargo ships. He has some interesting news for Neelix, that someone on Voyager's crew is leaving and joining the Talaxians. Act 1. Neelix brings the news to Janeway, who is immediately suspicious of how he got the information and what it means. She brings in Tuvok, and after a brief exchange, they agree to tell Neelix the truth. 
It's Tom Paris. He's leaving Voyager because, well, let's face it, he's been a bit of a discipline problem lately, and he decided he doesn't fit in. Janeway made the arrangements, and Paris will be gone soon. Mulix visits Paris in his quarters as the former officer is packing his bags. He wants to clear the air, and he hopes Tom's decision has nothing to do with him. They're friends, after all. Tom assures him that, no, his decision is something he's been considering for more than a year. He doesn't fit in on Voyager, or maybe anywhere for that matter. It's clear that Neelix is affected by the decision, and they hug before Neelix returns to the mess hall. In there, on a monitor, is the doctor, impatiently waiting to discuss his segment on Neelix's next show. But it will have to wait. Something more important has come up. Setting up his camera and addressing the audience directly, Neelix praises his friend and wishes him a heartfelt farewell. The rest of the crew see the video play out on their monitors, and in a transporter room, Tom says his personal goodbyes to Kess, Neelix, and Harry before being beamed away. Act 2. The next staff meeting is... different. They all have Tom Paris on their minds. Janeway was pleased with Neelix's video tribute, and Harry just wants to know if there's any chance his friend will come back. They're interrupted, though, by a call from Jonas in engineering. There's a serious problem with the magnetic constrictors failing, thus allowing hot plasma to leak out. It's threatening the warp core unless they can vent the plasma, which would short the warp coils. The situation grows more dire, and as consoles explode, Milana gives the order to vent the plasma. That leaves three wounded officers sent to sickbay, and Voyager stuck with inoperable warp engines. Just as Neelix sets about reporting the incident from sickbay by interviewing the heroes like Jonas, he is called to the bridge by Janeway. Voyager has a problem. With the warp coils burnt out, they need some very specific compounds for repair, and they have no idea where to look. Neelix does, though, and he suggests an M-class planet in the Hemikex system. It's a plan, but before they can get underway, a call comes from Neelix's contact, Laxeth. His convoy was attacked by the Kazon, and they took only one thing, Tom Paris. Act 3. So that leads us to a Kazon Nistrum ship where Tom is being questioned by Seska. She didn't trust him on Voyager, and she doesn't trust him now. And the feeling is mutual, but she does offer up that he could be valuable as a pilot, and they treat him very well. She leaves Tom for some time to think about it, and he gets right to work with a little gadget from Q Branch that lets him tap into their comm systems. Back on Voyager, Neelix is putting some things together. Why did the Kazon attack the Talaxian convoy so soon after Tom got there? And why did they only take him? How would they know? Maybe that points to someone on Voyager supplying the Kazon with intelligence. And maybe a journalist like Neelix can get to the bottom of it. His first stop is to see Milana in engineering, and he asks about reviewing the comm logs. She obliges and pulls the logs up on a terminal, but has to leave. That means Michael Jonas is the nearest crewman around to answer some basic questions like, how would one make a secret transmission? And what are all these gaps in the logs about anyway? Jonas has easy explanations, but Neelix's curiosity is still cause for concern. 
The crewman picks up a torch and aims it like a weapon behind Neelix's head, but they are both interrupted by a call from the EMH over a monitor who still wants to know when he can be a part of Neelix's show. Jonas loses his opportunity to silence Neelix forever, who dashes out of engineering onto his next clue. Act 4. Neelix takes his investigation to Tuvok, who, at first, is dismissive of gaps in the comm log and other anomalies. But the more it looks like the comm logs may have been tampered with, and if that means someone has been communicating with the Kazon, then Tuvok will investigate. He asks Neelix to suspend his own journalistic investigation in the interest of ship security, and he agrees— until he gets outside the door, that is, where Neelix tells himself that his obligation is to journalistic integrity and that he will keep digging. Next stop, engineering again, where he asks how to recover data that might have remained after a log was erased. Hogan helps him out with the task and discovers something very unusual. The logs can't be uncovered because they weren't sent with the subspace antenna array. Rather, the records indicate messages were sent along with waste energy along the ship's power grid. So can a source be determined? Only so far as a deck location, which leads Neelix to go room by room looking at terminal logs and ending with the one in Tom Paris's quarters. He takes his findings public right away in another video broadcast naming Paris as a spy formerly among their crew. Janeway sees the broadcast and calls Neelix to her ready room immediately. There, she and Tuvok spell out what's been happening for both Neelix and Chakotay. Paris isn't the one who is communicating with the Kazon. He is a spy, yes, but for the good guys. When Tuvok suspected some communications with the Kazon, they cooked up this plan to have Paris act out and make a good show of leaving Voyager. They left Chakotay out of it to make things authentic, and just in case the real culprit was a former Maquis. So here they are now, with some faked comm logs sent to Paris's computer by someone trying to throw Neelix off the trail. But who? With Neelix in the limelight now, he's actually the perfect candidate to keep snooping around and draw attention from the real culprit. It's dangerous, but he volunteers to do so. Meanwhile, back on the Kazon ship, Tom has made some progress by capturing a message between Jonas and Seska about luring Voyager to Himekek. He's interrupted when Seska's suspicions are confirmed, and she walks in with two armed guards. She caught him in the act. But that little spy device Tom has explodes, creating a diversion. He grabs a weapon and leads Chase through the Kazon vessel until he can dispatch with the guards and escape on a shuttle. Act 5. Dutifully, Neelix returns to engineering to let Hogan and Jonas know that he's trying to figure out how comm records could have been planted on Tom Paris's computer. While there, Bellana calls for help from Hogan, which leaves Jonas and Neelix alone. With Paris and his stolen Kazon shuttle being pursued and fired upon by the Kazon vessel, he calls Voyager to warn them to stay away from the ambush awaiting at Hemekek. Janeway calls Engineering to divert all available power to the transporters to save him, but Jonas does something bizarre. He sets up a force field and adjusts computers having nothing to do with the transporter. Neelix asks why and gets a firm order from Jonas to stay out of it.
While Tom's situation worsens, he calls again to alert Janeway that he uncovered who the spy is. It's Michael Jonas. Immediately, Janeway dispatches Tuvok and a security team to engineering, but they can't get in. That leaves Neelix to confront Jonas when he realizes that he's disabling the weapons system. Caught, Jonas backhands Neelix, grabs his comm badge, and leaves it with his own on a console before escaping up a ladder. Just in time, Tom is transported back to Voyager, but the ship can't fire back at the Kazon now. An attempt to beam Jonas out of engineering only results in his stray comm badge, which leaves Neelix to fight this one on his own, and he does. Grabbing a metal tool, Neelix ascends the ladder and takes a whack at Jonas's leg, temporarily knocking him down. The two fight, and in Voyager's predicament, a plasma leak opens up a deck below them. When Jonas hurls himself toward Neelix, a judo throw sends the ensign tumbling into the leak, and... Let's just say that Michael Jonas disintegrated real good. Neelix lowers the force field and reactivates weapons, allowing Voyager to fend off the attacking Kazon vessel. He'll be all right, not like Jonas. With Tom back aboard and the spy dead, Neelix welcomes his friend to a broadcast of his show to tell his story. It's heroic, but Tom also takes time to apologize for his behavior, especially to Chakotay. And... Sorry, Doctor, there's still no time for you on today's show either. The end. So imagine this, if you will. I know mm. that this is audio and not video always, but mm. imagine if me sitting there yeah. with a strange camera following me, and maybe I'll start a new <laughs> podcast for John called A Briefing with Norm. I would watch that. Would you? Yeah, well, it depends on who your guests are. Well, I'm going to have jugglers, you know, people that juggle phasers or maybe yeah. microphones. And then, cool. well, cooking, of course, you know, because we're yeah. both Epicureans at heart. Yeah. And never Robert Picardo. Never Robert Picardo <laughs> ever, yeah. even because, you know, being a celebrity, but we'd still put him off just in the, the spirit. Yes. Your recap was fantastic. A lot, a lot oh, of thanks, exposition buddy. to kind of uh, machete through. It was yes. a lot. Yeah, uh, but not because this the uh, episode was uninteresting. It's just that I think that this episode had just had so much to to tell. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and it's just it's a lot of plot. It's not a lot mm -hmm. of deep character stuff. Not a lot of moments of of character realization. It's just you, you got to drive the plot for. It. But you know, we'll get into that stuff. Talk to me about what's happening here at the top. I'm I'm going to be somewhat uh, what's the word picky. I guess when Please. it comes to uh, some of the technology that I saw in this episode, um, yeah, Neelix's recording just didn't sit well with me mm -hmm. uh, from a 24th century recording device point of view. Yeah, and this is why, and I, maybe it's because I don't have the best streaming quality with some of the things that I watch. But yeah. watching his briefing with Neelix felt like I was getting plagued with like non-interlacing issues. Yeah, so that that is a problem. I do want to talk about the technology in the next segment because there's a lot of technology to unpack in this episode mm -hmm. and it's very interesting to see what holds up and what doesn't hold up what was prescient and what very quickly became outdated but i look i will say this though i actually i really like the idea of a video cast among the crew some type of 
inter-crew communication because you never see that. And, you know, it's been a long-standing tradition that, you know, on cruise ships or even on military ships, there are ways that things are communicated to the crew where it's not just a captain giving orders. It's also what's happening in life on that ship. So, like, if you're a passenger on a cruise ship, you get that little printed newsletter every day. But even now, that's changing where you get in an app in your phone, you get the daily content updated. Or there's a closed-circuit TV and somebody's doing a morning show or somebody's doing an interview or an expert about a port. So I am fully of the belief that starships need this, too. Just maybe not this show. Well, I mean, I like, yeah, I like the idea of seeing it like on an L-Cars monitor, maybe like in a hallway where you like walk by it on your way to duty. Because not mm, everyone on yeah. duty is going to watch it all at the same time, right? Sure, duty. yeah. Yeah, yeah. At two minutes and 10 uh, seconds in, I'm a doctor, not a performer. <laughs> so there's yes. our, our, our doctor line. Um, and then like shortly after that, about almost three minutes in, uh, take a look at Garrett fidgeting around with his com badge when he's walking with Johnny Neelix. I noticed that. Yeah. 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 That was a weird moment. I mean, he's just been talking to the crown prince of Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think that he would have straightened himself up before that moment. But it is weird that he's he's kind of messing around with it. Like, that's the sort of thing that you don't want to have on camera. Right. So, I mean, they're yeah. magnetically attached, I guess. But it's just weird that he's just almost like, is this thing straight? Is my cosplay right? You know, do I look it on (laughs) camera? But it was just a strange thing. At the time, a lot of that was just done with Velcro. But maybe they had graduated to magnets at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. Uh, I do have to wonder, does everybody in Starfleet take acting classes? Because uh, Janeway, Tuvok. Paris, they're all in on the ruse, and they have to keep up the front for people like Neelix and Chakotay who don't know. And of course, you know, in our reality, they are actors as characters who are acting, so they mm-hmm. can pull it off. But in the reality of the show, uh, they got to be pretty good actors to uh, to maintain this. So, yeah. bravo to them. Maybe they get a Starfleet Oscar uh, for doing that. <laughs> you know, now it does seem to me. I think that. Telling Chakotay right from the start would have been a good idea. Uh, Or maybe they just realized that he's the guy who placed last in Starfleet acting class. I don't think he committed himself to the part. That's Or would have. That's it. Unless you're punching Dolby. Then he commits himself to the part. Then he commits. That was no act. Yeah. I do have a question. Why is Tom Paris packing his bags? And more specifically, with what? (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. Like... (laughs) Like, are all those clothes, are are those things that he brought with him? Or did he replicate a bunch of stuff to take once he knew he was going to leave? Like, (laughs) there's just shelves of stuff, (laughs) you know? It's almost as if, like, uh, like maybe the director, the writers, and props were like, okay, we need enough material for him to be able to grab and move back and forth across the room and do something dynamic. Yeah, got to give him business. Minutes, right? But yeah. When you really looked at his wardrobe, wow, that was bland. <laughs> it was like, here's brown and more brown. And the, and the outfit they fit him with, I am so sorry, Robbie, man, but that thing was oh, brutally awful. That was brutally awful. And yeah, he is uh, <laughs> Cap- Captain Earthtones yeah. in, uh, in his wardrobe choices. But it's like a bag Fair of holding. Up. You know, if you're a Dungeons yeah. & Dragons player, it's basically a bag <laughs> yeah. to another dimension. You just keep stuffing stuff in that thing. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you know what? It, it all it all pays off. It's a good scene between Robbie and Johnny, and I loved mm-hmm. Neelix's hug 
with Tom. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a bro hug, like a big around your shoulders. Like he put his yeah. face towards his heart, you know, and yeah. leaned into him. And I'm like, you know what? That's nice. That is a good. I, um, maybe it's culturally Talaxian, but I loved that scene. I really did. Yes. Yeah. I, th- that was a really sweet moment. And I do like how, okay, we just came off an episode where the doctor had to have really dramatic moments. Mm-hmm. You still had to keep true to the character with his ego and play down. Like the lines were hilarious, but he had to play them down a little bit. So you actually see the truth in what he's saying as well. Right. I love how we get to ramp up the comedy a little bit here, a little bit more. And his ego is the thing that gets him involved. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I love staying true to the character like that. It's wonderful. I mean, I really do want to know how to keep the nostrils happy. I mean, that's kind of important, don't you? Think? Yeah, that is. Yeah, we, we <laughs> should really investigate that. Yeah. I mean, I really like Neelix's video, the the tribute. Not necessarily like the way it was set up, but I like the content of it. Mm-hmm. But would everyone stop watching? I mean, stop to watch it like all at the same time. Right. You know, yeah. I almost feel like it needs like yeah. one of those, like those, um, ensigns whistles, you know, the, the bosun's call to stop yeah. everyone and just say, this is important. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. Now it was funny that in the transporter room for Tom's goodbye scene, it's just Kess, Neelix and Harry. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, not even the captain can be bothered, and Chakotay certainly isn't interested in patching things up. Like, as far as Chakotay knows, this is his last time to say goodbye. <laughs> and even though they've had their their uh, problems recently, like, be the bigger person and show up. Nobody, nobody shows up. It was very unceremonious, which was yeah. kind of a tip, I think, to yeah, oh, very nod so. to what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really liked how the the scene was set up with uh, Neelix's story going into VO into mm. that scene. Because it's a nice kind of bookending to Parturition where they made their, they, you know, they, they fixed their relationship, the three of them together. And they're there for him at the end. And I do have quite a bit to say about Harry's involvement in all of this later on. Yeah, because- sure. Sure. By the way, that thing that you're pointing out, though, about Neelix's VO, that, that's so interesting. As you go back and rewatch this episode, and you can see how in that original script, they had planned for everything to be from Neelix's POV. Mm-hmm. So it's all those moments where it's Neelix describing things, Neelix's POV, and then you can tell, like, okay, we got to add some action yeah. in here. We actually have to have our characters do things. I got to say... I, I have to hand it to Jonas for risking himself to not be a suspect. <laughs> I mean, that panel explosion, it could have killed him. It could have blinded him, could have done any number of things that were serious. And he's just right there in front of it. In fact, had this whole plot line gone a different way, that would have been a great diversion to throw people off. But no, the hand was already tipped. Yeah. long ago it would have been interesting if they actually did kill off jonas and then there was a second spy on board which kind of like diverted the attention back Ooh, to tom dun, dun, dun. Right? interesting yeah yeah but yeah. yeah jonas way to sell yourself in the part buddy you know yeah he took delicious. starfleet acting yeah i'll tell you yeah that. he yeah. really did yeah, yeah. Oof. So let's cut over to the Kazon vessel for a moment here and tom paris one of his first lines to seska 
it seems to be like you're already getting a lot of valuable information about Voyager from somewhere. Dude, I, that is the <laughs> dumbest thing to say. Like, it just shows right away his knowledge and interest in the fact that the Kazon have a mole. Don't do that. Yeah. If you're going to be a spy, play dumb about at least this one thing. Like, like that's uh, – talk about tipping the hand. Everything yeah. was going so well right up until this moment. Because, okay, so you have Seska, mm. who's a trained Cardassian infiltrator. You know, even yeah. to the point where, you know, she dermally changed herself. But, yeah. then you, but then you have Tom's like, Tom doesn't trust that he's a traitor because he's not good at being a traitor. <laughs> so he just kind of blurts something out. And, I okay, everyone, Kaplaz, John, for dropping in Q Branch. Yeah, you're welcome. Into yeah. Uh, yeah. His, his recap <laughs> because it's Q1 and Q Branch. But, yeah, the whole thing where, like, hey, look. You caught me, except for this little thing. I literally hid up my sleeve. Like, no magic yeah. tricks, nothing hidden up my nothing sleeve up until sleeve. it is yeah. hidden up my sleeve, which was... But I, I just can't... You're totally giving up the game when you say, yeah, and, and you have a spy on Voyager. Like, I, yeah. that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, good. I don't know about that. Yeah. Now, I, I do know that the correct answer to any question like this is because the script says so. But why would Neelix go to engineering to look at comm logs? Like, wouldn't a bridge station or literally anywhere else on the ship make sense when you first start that investigation? It's very weird. Uh, Like, Janeway could have kicked him over to Tuvok, which actually might have been a good idea because then Tuvok could just constantly keep him away. Yeah. (laughs) Just, Just constantly keep him at arm's length from anything. But no, he goes to engineering for it. I looked uh, online, and uh, it, it it seems that Neelix is Talaxian for Columbo. Mm, so, there we go. Yeah, uh, so just, he, just he, one more thing. He Columboed yeah. his way into the uh, into the investigation. Forty seven reference, John. So Hogan says mm. engineering authorization Omega four seven yeah. to everyone with an earshot of him. <laughs> no two fi- no two factor yeah. authentication on this ship. Yeah. Conveniently yeah. for uh, Neelix to hear that as well. I love how easy it was <laughs> for him to just get in. Mm-hmm. By the way, just uh, you know, another stylistic thing here. That is a really long time to have Jonas creeping up behind Neelix, just telegraphing the whole thing to the audience. I know that maybe in Jonas's head, he's got to think about this. He's got to decide what to do. How do you get rid of the body? But... That took a really long time. Maybe it's because um, Jonas and Tom, they're they're supposed to be these things that they're not, and they're terrible at it. Like, Jonas isn't a murderer. He doesn't want to kill yeah. anybody. He's even telling, no. like, Neelix at the end, just leave, please. Just don't be here. I don't want to hurt you. And he doesn't. Uh, what, you know? what does Jonas want, ultimately? We just, we, we don't, it, it doesn't make sense. Okay, but I... Yeah. <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I I got to say, I love Star Trek production design in general, but man, the Kazon ship interiors are just uninspired. Uh, that That's, I think, partly why it was so nice to see the return of Cardassian design a few weeks ago on Dreadnought. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was just beautiful to look at, really intriguing. This, this is just like, oh, uh, we've got a wall panel throw it up over there <laughs> you know oh, oh and yeah you know funny because of our speculation last week tom gave chakotay a hard time but he had fun doing it just like we thought yeah yes little truth in the fiction always yeah. sells the fiction sure i i wish though i wish that they had a moment you know where they just kind of like it was like uh nothing needed to be said they're just at sandrine's they maybe like lift a drink to each other or play a game of pool 
and just kind of end this whole thing with the tension that they had starting with Caretaker because they've always kind of been at odds. But I think that's that one thing that Tom really needs to kind of like close off. It's like, look, I proved my loyalty. I kind of treated Chakotay like a jerk, even though I was under orders. It did yeah. feel good, but that wasn't my intent, right? <laughs> right, right, of yeah. course. And, and I have to say, you know, now that we've created this conceit of how our crew communicates, how they get information from Neelix with this daily video update, I, I hope that we keep this running on, on this show. I which part of me just feels like it'll be an idea that gets dropped because they just created it for this one episode. But but we shall see. And I guess, Norman, at the end of it all, we have to look at the doctor as the Lindsay Buckingham of a briefing with Neelix. A uh, briefing with Neelix. <laughs> a briefing with Neelix. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Too bad. Maybe next time. Now I'm really curious as to what the classified ads look like aboard Voyager. We'll be right back with more of Investigations after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Norman, I'm so happy that we have a relationship with the good people over at StarTrekWines.com. And man, I have to tell you, it, it seems like they keep cranking out not just great wines, but these beautiful bottles that are important to you and me and probably a lot of our listeners. They're screen accurate. I mean, they're not just screen accurate. They're the ones that you see there in Picard, on Enterprise, uh, and especially something like Chateau Picard, which, uh, of course, we've seen for many years, but then became even more famous with Star Trek Picard Season 1 and Season 2. What I love about Star Trek wines, they're giving a, a certain age demographic the collectibles that we've always wanted to have. Of course, we'd have to be a certain age to collect them to begin with, but that's beside the point. But very true. These are <laughs> wonderful, yeah. screen accurate collectibles. But at the same time, though, the the product, the wines that are in these bottles are just as exquisite in terms of their quality and flavor profile and taste. It's really a win-win situation. Yeah, it's something that you can be very proud to serve at uh, at a party or a gathering, and uh, people will be impressed. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things that are new to the site. Uh, the three-pack of Chateau Picard, these are limited edition. And uh, what you get here is one each of the 2221, the 2386, and the 2401 vintages of Chateau Picard. Now, the wines are the same, but the labels, that screen accurate label is really what makes it cool. And I love this, the 2221, that actually premiered in Strange New Worlds. Mm. So Captain Pike is serving his vintage 2221 Chateau Picard. I, I love that bit of insider prop usage on a show. That's perfect. The other package that I want to bring to your attention is the Ryzen Wine two bottles, two different bottles, one from Star Trek Enterprise, one from Picard. And I love this. This tells you how much they care about getting the product right. They actually asked fans, which one do you want? Do you want 
the bottle, the the Ryzen bottle from Enterprise or Picard. Fans were split 50-50, so guess what? They made both. (laughs) They made a rosé from Enterprise and a white from Picard, and the bottles are actually scanned from the original props that were used on those shows. And the best part is right now, exclusively for Mission Log listeners, if you use our product code Roddenberry at StarTrekWines.com, you will get a free medallion of the United Federation of Planets then you can use on a bottle, a goblet, a coffee cup, whatever you like, and they are gorgeous. So fans of Star Trek, fans of wines, do yourself a favor and visit StarTrekWines.com today for limited edition Chateau Picard, Ryzen Varietals, and many more. Use our special code Roddenberry at StarTrekWines.com for an exclusive United Federation of Planets medallion. So you know, John, I love coming up with solutions for problems. Yes, you're good like well, that. Well, we all love saving money. I think that's like a universal thing that we all humans love to do. We love to save money, and we love finding ways to make sure that we are in track with all the different accounts that we have out there, especially in cyberspace, where sometimes our money is being siphoned off by accounts we don't even use anymore. And you want to close those off, but sometimes you forget where they are. Sometimes you forget that you even have them. That's why, John, I personally love using Rocket Money, and it was formerly known as Truebill. Ah, okay. So then I pose that question back to our audience. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? And now think about it. Think hard here. 80% of people have subscriptions that they forgot about. 80%. So maybe that's you. And and maybe it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Uh, what have you. You all have multiple streaming services and you may just not tune in anymore. So here's this great app that comes along, Rocket Money, and it helps you keep track of all of your expenses. And because of it, you no longer waste money on the subscriptions that you don't use. Now, you may have heard of it already, Rocket Money. Like Norman said, it was formerly known as Truebill. And uh, if you think about how much your subscriptions actually cost you, most Americans think, okay, get this, they think they spend about $80 a month on subscriptions. The actual total is closer to 200 bucks. So that is shocking. You could actually be, I, I know, right? You just, oh, I just forgot about that extra hundred sure. plus dollars is out there mm-hmm. per month. So you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions that you don't even know about. And the app to track it down and help you take care of it is Rocket. So the app shows all of your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you the subscriptions that you don't want or aren't using anymore. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't even know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. So that's this is protecting your money. You have a vested interest in using this. And if you want to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money take care of the rest. So get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash mission log. All right, Norman, this episode isn't about 
the technology, but you brought it up in the last segment, and I, I thought it's such an interesting thing to drill down. So maybe maybe you and I can take a couple of minutes to tech the tech oh, on this nice. because it's fun. It's fun to do. It's fun sure. to, to tech the tech. Yeah. You know. So I, I thought Neelix is set up again. It's an interesting idea to me. This whole internship communications thing, and it's just fun to point out some of the elements that are futuristic and maybe the ones that are anachronistic. And <laughs> and maybe then we'll get to a discussion about, oh, I don't know, uh, journalism's role in a free society. Okay, so first of all, the fun stuff. This episode of Voyager came out in 1996, set in the 21st century, obviously. And we have this competition going on between what is technically feasible, what is futuristic, and then what has to tell the story. And of course, the big glaring thing here here should be to everyone CRT monitors everywhere some <laughs> giant ones at that yeah. did you notice the one where Neelix is walking by that desk and and you have that CRT at an angle, angle sticking up and it's just taking up a huge middle portion of that desk mm-hmm. right yeah yeah now I cannot remember the last time I interacted with a CRT monitor in real life you know, I really can't. But still, Voyager's designers, I think they did something cool by having the practical items built into the set and then masking them enough to make it look like they fit, even though it's a big honking monitor in the middle of the room. You know, obviously, that would not be a thing today. But speaking of CRTs, we have to go to that original point of view shot from Neelix's camera as Voyager's crew members will see the show. And that video is interlaced. Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. In a big, big way. And it is to tell the audience in 1996 that this is a small consumer camera. And it even has a little red record light indicator yes, at the bottom. It does. Yes, it does. <laughs> so. Now, here's what's interesting. So today, we no longer shoot or broadcast interlaced anything. Mm-hmm. And if you are watching a broadcast, you are not seeing the red recording light. That is only the thing that the camera sees and the camera operator would see. So we have to assume that it's live when we have Neelix's point of view. But it's really odd that this is the thing that we're seeing as a crew POV. I love the little very Star Trekky L cars kind of almost like a tape meter, although there wouldn't be tape on this, but you see the little purple indicator below the record Mm -hmm. light. But I just wonder if somebody thought, ooh, you know, between the heavy, heavy interlacing and that little L-Cars looking purple indicator, you know what, our audience just, they may not get it enough. We need to have the big red REC flashing (laughs) in front of them to show that it's a recording video camera. I'm wondering if this is one of those occasions where you're going to see a lot of notes in the script from, say, like producers who are looking at dailies and saying, Mm. that isn't clear enough to me, which means that it's obviously not going to be clear enough to our intelligent and sophisticated audience that this is a point of view recording from a 24th century video unit because it doesn't look like it's a recording. You know? Well, yeah. And and what's so weird, like that interlacing is very heavy handed and it's clearly done in post, Mm -hmm. right? You know, they had to add that effect in post. But throughout Star Trek, ever since the original series, whenever we see anybody on a monitor anywhere, it's just 
live video that presumably always looks better than the video that we have today. Super high resolution, very realistic. Mm -hmm. Some would even say three-dimensional when you see characters kind of look in a direction on camera when they're still on a monitor. So it was a weird choice to do that. I, I did like there was a moment where they actually showed the camera that he's talking to. And I liked that the camera would move mm -hmm. and would center him in the shot and would do some, you know, push in and some pull back. Because that actually in the early 21st century, as we record this podcast, that's something that is very common and accessible now built into computer cameras, built into right. phone cameras. Or you could take it so far as to have a gimbal and you tap a button, and then the gimbal just follows you if you're the subject. Like, that kind of thing is great. Yeah. So they really were ahead of the curve on that. I mean, the idea yeah. for him to do that, you know, I, I know that I don't like the execution as much, but I think the idea for him mm -hmm. to do that and be able to do something that reaches, like, the majority of the crew all at once, you know, like you mm -hmm. said, your ship-wide broadcasts, I think that's... For the chief morale officer, I think that was a very good idea for him. It's just – it's so saddled in the technology of the time. Yeah. But it's not supposed to be the technology of the time. And I think that right. that's what just – it it grounds that – the uh, the effort, you know, into yeah. uh, something yeah. that doesn't work for either era, either then or now, you know. Yeah, so. that's – that that's so weird about it, and that's why it became such a sticking point. Is that did it feel genuine to a nineteen ninety six show about the twenty fourth century? And certainly, that's just an element that didn't age well. I, I think overall, as I'm looking at it now, Voyager, from a design point of view, typically has aged pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think that bridge is gorgeous. Yeah. I think L cars are a timeless kind of design. There are things that look as fresh to me now as they did back then. But little things like this really stand out and all they can do is just make you get into your head about why did they choose that? Why, you know, and to a lesser degree, anytime we see static on a monitor in Star Trek, that's another thing where you just think, okay, well, that wouldn't be happening. Right. Because we're not sending analog signals. Well, it's like the point of view forth. from the prototype robot in prototype. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. you made a very specific yeah. point. You're like, really static 24th century? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but I will give them one thing, which is recovering deleted data, because that is absolutely a thing that can be done. Oh, sure. So they were very much right about that. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a, a cool detail that might have seemed implausible at the time, but or, or plausible, but, but not common. At the time. And, and now, certainly, yeah, you can do it. You, you do have to go to great efforts to truly delete something, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we made a reference of this uh, in our in a previous episode where uh, we talked about how many gigaquads can Voyager's mm -hmm. computer data storage hold. So think about those logs being lost in fragmentation within, I don't know how many gigaquads that you have to sift through in order to kind of like... Uh, find the fragmentations to uncover whatever Neelix was going to uncover. But yeah, I, I wanted yeah. to, um, not, not that Neelix's idea was bad. It's just mm. that, was it worth two minutes of storytelling? Right. You know, right. Because yeah. imagine this, if you took out all of that to the point where he's walking down the aisleway with Harry, it's the same story. You don't really lose anything from the story if you just cut to Harry saying, he goes, so what'd you think of my show? And he's like, well, I could go without the jugglers and the fluff and the frosting. If you really want to become a journalist, yeah, yeah. it doesn't change anything because 
what they showed you at the beginning isn't really all that interesting. And with so much stuff that they really needed to kind of get to 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 maybe mm-hmm. maybe smooth out some of the rougher edges in this episode, they could have spent. Remember, this is a two minute opening of what he did from when he started on camera to when he stopped with the doctor. It was two minutes and ten seconds. That's yeah. a lot of storytelling that yeah. you can use. Well, hey, just just think if Michael Pillar had had his way, it would have been forty five minutes of. All Neelix POV. And this would have been a much different episode <laughs> for us talking yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's a strange choice for sure. But, but it's like they, they had this idea. And look, how many times have we pointed out, uh, not just in Star Trek, but you know, a lot of science fiction or, or creative genre shows where they'll break their format for an episode. They'll just do something completely different as an experiment. And sometimes it's really incredible so you you know uh doing a musical episode of buffy Mm -hmm. or uh one of my favorite doctor who episodes i I forget the title but where almost the entire thing is told from the point of view of people in a support group who were visited by the doctor (laughs) and so you practically never see the doctor except for the very end and i was just like that's great just tell a story from a completely different point of view break out of that box Mm -hmm. you know but this, it's like they latched onto this idea, and then does it really work in the execution? This is one of those chances where some network heads stepping in and saying, or studio heads stepping in and saying, eh, don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it was a good idea. I, I do want to skip it because you brought up the Harry Kim thing, uh, talking to Neelix, and it's a theme that comes back when Neelix has this conversation with Janeway and then again with uh, Tuvok. It's the job of a journalist to be independent. Uh, and I liked that Harry giving his description about writing that article about the history of the Maquis and splitting the uh, students about that and how this became a, a bone of contention. I'm very interested in the role of journalism to uncover and expose truths. Yes, I have a degree in journalism. That's what I went to school for. And I'm also very interested in the role of secret missions to further a cause. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I loved this scene between Neelix and Tuvok because they're both right in expressing what they need for their goals. Neelix needs to keep investigating the truth, and Tuvok needs to provide for the security of the ship and hide the subterfuge about Tom. But Tuvok can't really just stop Neelix from doing what he's doing outright. He can't just, like, confine Neelix to quarters. I mean, maybe he could, but that would be a very, very different and darker and weirder story here. I think about the many times that journalists have done great work by exposing truths that need to be exposed. Woodward and Bernstein come to mind immediately. Yes, we needed that investigative work to bring down the corruption in the White House, Mm -hmm. very clearly, you know. Then you also think about because it's all from the point of view of who does this benefit. It's very interesting to read about subterfuge and spy machinations in World War II and trying to keep information away from journalists or provide false information to journalists to hide things of incredible importance like, oh, I don't know, the invasion of Normandy at D-Day. Or the Enigma. <laughs> you know? Or the Enigma, exactly. Mm-hmm. And even going so far uh, with the Enigma story, which I think is absolutely fascinating, that here 
the U.S. and and others had recovered a few of these devices, kept that a secret, not only kept that a secret, but kept some of the information that came from that, that they had intercepted a secret, even allowing certain uh, uh, troop deployments to be hit. Because if they had actually taken action during that, that would have given away the fact that we had an Enigma device. So, you know, there is no singularly uh, one-size-fits-all answer to this, but I'm I'm glad we got to see both sides of this. And you certainly get to sympathize with Neelix's plight here and what he needs to do, what he feels is right. And certainly try to understand where Tuvok is coming from, that I've got people to protect here. I need to throw this guy off. Great scene between the two of them, too. You know, uh, really was played very well between the two. Yeah, probably the most genuine, I think, of scenes like in this entire episode, because you felt that Neelix was he was on track doing the right thing. And then obviously, Tuvok was like, well, I know certain things you don't know. Let's see if they actually get there organically. And uh, they've been building up their relationship over the course of like the last couple of episodes for sure, especially through Meld, you know, with the Neelix mm, and Tuvok mm-hmm. relationship. But I think the bigger question I have here, John, because I agree with what you're saying with with Neelix and, and how he's kind of embraced this hard nosed journalism and kind of like uh, he has to take, you know, his investigation to the nth degree. But look at what he has to do amidst all of his responsibilities in this episode. And I think it kind of. It takes away a little bit of the believability of of what he's doing. He has to do a daily show, which gets kind of dropped out of nowhere. In again, in the serialization of Voyager, all of a sudden he's Neelix with a daily show, and then he gets you know convinced fairly quickly to be more kind of like a hard boiled, hard nosed journalist, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's going into comms logs specifically comms logs and engineering to try and find a saboteur. Then he's called to the bridge because they need to find rare mineral deposits with a trade consortium. He can do that too. Then he goes back to the Mm -hmm. log entries. Then he goes back to engineering. Then he sniffs out Jonas. And then he fist fights Jonas to basically, you know, a uh, a mano (laughs) a mano, you know, death match. Yeah. There's a lot going on with him. And it doesn't have to be that way, especially when you have – Tom Paris's best friend, Harry, who's getting absolutely Uh, zero screen time in this episode. That's about Tom Paris. (laughs) See, and and that's another spot. I, I, you know, I feel like a lot of this episode of the podcast is sort of rushing to the end here, but it's, it's fair because this is an episode that's about plot. Yeah. It, It just really is about plot. And that is a big shortcoming that we've got, uh, all these well-established, earned character moments, particularly go back to Caretaker. Go, go back to this, the very beginning mm-hmm. with Tom and Harry, and we're starting to build this friendship. That's the kind of choice in an episode like this that just shows you that the stakes aren't real. Like, like we, we can't buy the emotional reality of it because nobody on screen is buying the emotional reality of it. That's the truth. That's exactly yeah. the truth of it. Yeah. And they've laid out the story between Tom and Harry very specifically, and they've earned those moments between them. And I have the hardest time believing that even though that Neelix and Tom, like, you know, they had their reconciliation and parturition, why they haven't focused on how wounded and personally hurt Harry would have been that Tom has gone this direction and 
No one's talked to him about it. No one's like consulted him about it. No one's even asked if Harry's right. okay with his best friend being, you know, his best friend imploding like in front of everyone's yeah. eyes. All they ever do in the last couple episodes is kind of like look at Harry and he kind of shrugs his shoulders like, well, it is what it is. I don't, that's yeah. why we don't believe it. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. Because his 100%. best friend doesn't believe it. His best friend doesn't even really care. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. And I'm not saying that he doesn't care. It's just, uh, it's not written in any of his scenes for him to care, which doesn't give us any agency or purchase in the emotional beats of that part of the story. It is constantly just cut to Harry Kim's quarters and he's just crying while trying to play the clarinet. Right. He's just playing the, and he's just constantly crying, can't get himself together emotionally. Those are the scenes we didn't see. But that, that begs the biggest question though. It's like, do we really, or have we really bought into it? Now, let's be fair. A lot of our listeners have called us out on wait for it kind of you yeah. know messages but yeah, yeah. in our yeah. due diligence per episode we have to say does this really make sense why is tom acting like this why are they dropping in these b storylines that make absolutely no sense at all in the grand scheme of the episode now yes we get to this and it's the resolution but did we really buy it did we buy any of it i guess we'll find out in the next segment This just in, John and Norman have a lot of thoughts on this one, and that's the way they see it. All right, Norman, investigations. We have investigated the episode to the best of our journalistic abilities, and I feel like from early on, we, we kept dancing around asking each other, but does it hold up? But does it work? But does it hold up? And <laughs> finally, we have arrived at the part of the show where we get to truly investigate the answer to that. So Norman investigations, does it hold up? And then we'll get into whether or not there is a moral meaning or message here. But uh, how do you feel about the episode? Looking at my notes right now. So I said, as a standalone episode, no. But I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing. Because as a standalone episode, that means that it's a bottled episode and it tells its own story and doesn't have any serialization behind it. So by my admission, it's not a standalone mm -hmm. episode. It's part of a larger serialized story. But that's where I think it becomes a little bit more problematic holding up because the serialization isn't as strong as I think it could have been. To sell Tom's, you know, betrayal and then his obviously his ultimate uh, redemption as a character. And I'll give it a lot of points for trying, you know, because there are really good parts, you know, to this overall arc with Tom. But we, John, you and I have been tracking like his B plot scenarios, and they've been problematic and clunky. And I think that if those were done with a little bit defter hand in the script or maybe a little bit more obfuscation in the misdirection, then yeah, sure. I think that probably would have paid off a little bit, but that's really neither here nor there. I thought that at least the attempt was made and it's better to try than not try at all. Uh, and this is just, again, my own personal opinion about that. Now, I like that they wrapped up a lot of different storylines in this episode Parturition being one of them, and then maybe even Caretaker with Tom and uh, Chakotay kind of reconciling in that soft wink-wink kind of mm -hmm. way. And I like that 
we do see what maybe Tom was trying to get at at the end of Threshold, where he's like, I want to be someone that this crew respects. And I think there's a huge assumption, at least right now, not knowing what's going to happen with the storyline further, that the crew's like, that Tom Paris risked everything. Mm. And he is the kind of officer that we should all aspire to be because he did it all for us. And even though that we were going to throw him to the wolves because we thought he was a traitor. Yeah. So maybe that's where Tom needed to be. Maybe that's the kind of thing that he needed to feel that uh, was going to redeem himself. But I really do think that this episode should have been given a little bit more breathing room. I really do think that it should have been a two-parter because my biggest issue with this entire story is how Harry has been sidelined. You know, as a character who's Tom's best friend, without his input, without his... Uh, without his emotional response mm-hmm. to what Tom is going through, it really seems that we're losing a lot of the content and the context behind the emotional struggle there. Yeah. yeah. And I wish we saw more of that. Yeah. So like you, I tried to think about this as a standalone episode and also part of a serialized story and what what we're doing with Tom here. Now, let, let me say that I do like Neelix in this. I like that he is, or I, I, I should say that I like Neelix like this. He's an active participant mm-hmm. and he's not just comic relief. And it's fun to see scenes like Janeway and Tuvok playing hardball with Neelix <laughs> when, you know, we know that the whole thing's a setup and they're kind of, you know, ooh, should we tell them? Oh, okay, I guess we will tell them. But they're only telling him a little bit. You know, the, the, all of this stuff was fun to see. It was fun to see Neelix then have his own moment with uh, Tuvok. So the, the moments like that were fine. But the whole problem with this episode, we've taken a long time with these clunky setups with Tom. And then I feel like, okay, it was all for this. It was all for Tom gets to do some James Bond stuff, but then that's over pretty quickly. So we took weeks of Tom's bad behavior just to get him out on a Kazon ship where they don't trust him anyway, and then he escapes in one of their shuttles, and that's kind of a breeze, seeing as how the Kazon can't even blow up one of their own ships out of the sky. All that stuff just seems like a lot of build-up for not a whole lot of payoff. And the entire premise of luring Voyager to Hemikak just seems lucky. Like, you know, we're creating this very specific type of problem on board that they will then specifically look for this compound and will lead them to this specific place. Uh, So it's hard for me to say that this holds up even as part of this overall arc, as this overall story that has gotten us through the middle to later part of season two. It was meandering. There was unnecessary buildup to get us here. And then I just feel like the payoff is lousy. And we're not even done with Seska or the Kazon, so what of it? What did we really accomplish here? And I think the worst sin of this episode is that it makes all those wasted moments with Tom in earlier episodes stand out even more than they did before. 
you know, you and I were annoyed by those because they felt clunky, they felt unearned. Okay, now is the time. Now is the time that we're really going to earn it. And then we'll, we'll have this reveal where we get to say, oh, boy, look at all the breadcrumbs they left us. Look how much emotional buildup. Look, look how much investment we had in those. No, now they just feel even more egregious, even cheaper, and even more of a diversion from what were very good episodes and you pointing out the problems with not having harry get affected by this that that just becomes even more of a problem and look jerry taylor got it she she understood it she was far more interested in the plot about journalism and neelix than she was in what had been set up about tom paris she was just ready to be done with the tom paris thing. like let's wrap this up and get out of this because it was an experiment that was not working and that's what spells out the problem with those previous episodes where we tried to do that too they painted themselves into a corner for a story that then they had to shoehorn in. But in the end, it it doesn't serve anyone. So yeah. it, it is a failure as an individual episode. It is a failure as part of an arc because the arc didn't work either. It's too bad because it comes intermixed into these other episodes that are quite good. And if you can just excise these moments, those would be gold. You know, one thing that we didn't cover, like in our observations, I mean, maybe more in our discussion, what was in it for Jonas? I, the, the motivation is completely missing. It's, yeah. Like there was no defined goal or even a reward no. for Jonas. No. You know, so he just ends up doing all of these machinations for nothing. No. No. There, there were all these better ways to throw us, the audience, off the trail of what was happening. And really believe it there are better ways to build up who and why the 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 spy was going to be on board i like your idea that it could have been more than one you know but in order to buy all that you have to buy what the stakes are and mm -hmm. i i just don't in any of this and unfortunately that brings me to a moral meaning message here where i don't really feel like there is that this is a utility script this is a script that is just designed to finish a thing that they started that they're done with it's sort of like um it's sort of like wrapping up the kess neelix tom paris jealousy thing that wasn't working jerry taylor comes in and it's like you know what we have to be done with this Let, let's just finish mm -hmm. this wrap it up so we can move on and fortunately they did that fortunately we have wrapped up this and moved on <laughs> i hope but this is a script that is designed to do that i'm interested in things that happened here i'm interested in like i said that interplay between the freedom of information versus the security of the state in this case the state in finger quotes is voyager but that really is just sort of a footnote sideline issue to what's going on here. What's going on here is a bunch of plot machinations to get us to the end. So I can't really mine a you see Timmy moment out of this. How about you? I'd like to maybe co-opt this my, my last few thoughts mm -hmm. here uh, in morals, meanings, and messages with more of a statement because – you know, as as somebody who has championed uh, a, a lot of um, the, the 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 smaller uh, moments that Harry's been given 
uh, in this series. I really do think that this episode missed a huge opportunity to, one, give you know, more representation on screen for this character that they have that they, I think so far that they underutilize. No. Um, and two, to actually uh, capitalize on the serialization of a story that's actually been somewhat compelling, and that's Tom's and Harry's relationship. Mm-hmm. Because they could have had a really good message in here where friends never give up on you no matter mm-hmm. what. Like, no matter the cause, no matter the reason, you know, if you're going through tough times, if you're going through addiction or emotional pain, you know, or uh, depression, your friend will always be there for you. It's kind of like it's kind of like that relationship that Tom and Harry had at the end of Non Sequitur. Tom didn't know that Harry, but went along with him because they just felt this kinship, this bond. Right. It was there. It was undescribable. It didn't uh, it was beyond words. You know, it just had that certain energy behind them. And I think that that's where all of this just doesn't pay off because we don't believe that Neelix would would have been the person to investigate what was happening to Tom. Harry himself set himself up at the beginning of this episode as Starfleet Academy's editor (laughs) for the paper. Right. And did stuff and found things about like out about like the the first Mm Maquis attack. You know, in the Federation. I mean, he has the training and he has the stick to it in this and he has the he has the reason behind finding all this out, behind risking, you know, maybe his own career that could have put him at odds with Jane and Tuvok. They could have said, Back off, Harry. Mm. This isn't this doesn't concern you. He's like, the hell it doesn't? Yeah. Like this is my best yeah. friend. You know, so it it would have paid off the line at the very beginning, you know, of uh, Caretaker, where he and Tom sat down, everyone else kind of like left the table in the mess hall. And then Tom's like, cut yourself loose, kid. You don't need me as dead weight around mm-hmm. you. And then Harry says, no, I don't, no one has to choose my friends mm-hmm. for me. Right. It started there and it could have ended really well yeah. here. Yeah. And unfortunately it didn't. Ah, that's too bad, man. That's, that's why you earned the writer hat for this episode. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment If you'd like to support us directly You can do so at patreon.com Slash Mission Log for early access to shows And the Mission Log Discord Our website is MissionLogPodcast.com And for more Star Trek news and discussion Visit TrekMovie.com On the next Mission Log Deadlock Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Pour one out for Jonas. He no longer has to embarrass himself relaying information of very little strategic value to the Kazons. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.